Alright guys, this is William, your host, back here at World of Wally. I want to thank you guys for tuning in again today. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Stanley Livingston. And you ask yourself, who is Stanley Livingston? Well, Stanley Livingston played an intricate role in the golden era of television. He played Chip Douglas on My Three Sons back when television was black and white. That's right, black and white. Most of my younger listeners had no idea that actually happened. Guys, this, this guy was an absolute delight to interview. Uh, he and I uh, never knew of each other until we actually sat down for this conversation. And he was an absolute delight. I can't thank him enough. And, uh, you know, guys, if you've ever had the opportunity to run across My Three Sons um, on either regular broadcast on rerun or on syndication through TV land or, or network like that. You need to check it out. The, the episodes were amazing. Um, they kind of set the, the bar for television of that time. And uh, Stan and I just love sitting down and having chat about um, what it was like back then to be a child star, to uh, work alongside his real life brother and uh, to work with uh, Mr. Fred McMurray, which was absolutely one of the most uh, influential actors of his day. Uh, I commonly refer to him as Mr. Disney because the, uh, the Disney movies back when I was growing up, it seemed like Fred was in all of them. But we really had a blast, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation. So after the break, guys, we'll be right back. That's just a quick word from us here at World of Wally. Um, we are always looking for support from our listeners to help continue our purpose, continue our drive, continue our mission. Uh, here at World of Wally, we strive to provide top-notch, compelling content that appeals to all ages and backgrounds. We do approach the podcast as a vehicle to deliver this information in a way that everyone, even the common man or common woman, feels that content speaks directly to them. We can only continue to provide thought-provoking and engaging conversations and guests with your help and your support. World of Wally is nothing without you, the listener, and your support. Thank you from all of us here at World of Wally. If you want to become part of our journey here as this project continues, uh, find out more at our Patreon link uh, at www.patreon.com front slash World of Wally. Uh, you also will be able to find it in the episode notes of each episode throughout season two. Like I said, guys, we couldn't do it without you. We don't want to do it without you. So anything you can do to help, we appreciate it. And as always, guys, Wally out. All right, guys, we're back from the break, and as promised, our guest today, Mr. Stanley Livingston. Stan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, William. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, for my listening audience that is a little on the younger side, um, Stan actually uh, was in one of the more iconic roles of, of his uh, era. He played Chip Douglas on My Three Sons, and uh, you also played alongside not just another brother but your actual real life brother now what what is his name and then what is the actual role he played uh well uh, the person you're referring to is my brother barry barry livingston and uh uh yeah he came on to my three cents kind of about the, the third year of the show as a friend and then the original older third son left the show and we adopted him, and he became the official third son on the on my three sons about the fifth year. 
Yeah, I was but Barry and I had actually worked together before that. A lot of people don't know that, but uh, we did an Ozzy and Harriet together, the very last Ozzy and Harriet episode I did. Uh, I was kind of a recurring character on there as a neighborhood child. Uh, and uh, before that, we were in a movie together called Rally Round the Flag Boys with uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. So what you're saying is your brother owes you all of his acting Credit. He owes it to you. <laughs> that little bum kept following you me got around. Him. Now he is. <laughs> no. You are older. He is older. Which is older of the two? I'm three years older than three Barry. Three years older and, than him. And uh, he's been a, a great actor his whole life, even so, as a kid actor. So I he was a tag along. I didn't have to do any, anything to help him. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you the question you were talking about. He originally started on My Three Sons as just a neighborhood kid, just a friend of you. Uh, you know, he was a friend of yours. And then he ended up at being a son. Well, was that like a common practice in, in television shows of that time that, um, you know, you start, um, you start a kid off with one thing and, hey. Well, you know, there's not a whole heck of a lot of shows where real-life brothers played, you know, what I call them as real and real brothers, meaning R-E-E-L. Um, you know, on Ozzy and Harriet, that was also the case, though, because it was David Nelson and, of course, Ricky Nelson, who uh, was one of Ozzy's sons, who was on that show for 14 years and came to be one of America's uh, foremost rock stars, probably right after Elvis. He was, you know, in the late 1950s, to the, you know, mid to late 60s, he was probably as big as Elvis. Yeah, I do know so among the like my parents for age, for example, he was he was huge. He was he was enormous, and you like I said, he was Elvis like, and he, and then he yeah. also he also had two sons, uh, twins that ended up they they had an ill fated rock group during my time when I was coming up as a teenager. They they were called Nelson, so it's kind of weird yeah. how that yeah. perpetuation continued. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I remember when that all started. It was during the era that I was on uh, Oz and Harriet, which was, sorry for me to say this, but 1956 to about 1960 when I found out I was hired to do My Three Sons and it was a series, so I could no longer do any more Ozzy and Harriet episodes. But Ozzy is the one who gave me my big break. You know, I came on to that show in 1956. I was hired as an extra, just, you know, one of... Ten kids that uh, were coming out of a patch of Christmas trees that he was trying to sell to make extra money during the Christmas season. And I don't know why, for whatever reason, but he came up to me just before we shot the scene and he said, could you say this line? And he told me what to say. And you know, they rolled the cameras. I came out and said, sure is mighty good camping in there, Mr. Nelson. And then I walked away and he shot it again uh, as a close up and, you know, it seemed like it was inconsequential, but at the end of the day, he came up to my mother and said, I, I really like him. I'd like to have him come back. Can you leave his agent's you know, information so we know how to get a hold of you? And of course, in Hollywood, you always hear people saying, you know, we're going to call you and it'll be good to work again. And then, you know, you never hear from them again. But true to his word, Ozzy called a couple months later and had written uh, another scene into a script where they needed a neighborhood kid. And I was the guy that they called, and that kind of went on and on. I probably did about four or five shows for the Nelsons between 56 and 1960 when I left to do My Three Sons. And as I mentioned before, the very last episode I did of Ozzy and Harriet, there was a bunch of kids in it. And, uh, you know, 
Ozzy was aware of my little brother who sometimes would be on the set because my mom didn't have a babysitter. And uh, by then, Barry was actually working and uh, he had done some movies and some TV shows and gave him a shot on the show. So we're in a scene together where, uh, you know, it's the only one we did where we appeared together on Ozzy and Harriet. And then I left. And, and again, he went up to my mom and said, we love him. We want him to come back. So make sure to leave the information about his agent and all that. And uh, so from 1960 to about 64, 65, Barry, you know, did four or five episodes a year for Ozzie and Harriet, too, as a, as a neighborhood kid. And I had his own little character. So, yeah, you know, no nepotism in show business, right? So you were cutting your acting chops during the golden age of television. And Ozzy yeah. and Harriet at that point was the gold standard. I mean, there were a lot of iconic shows during that time, but Ozzy and Harriet kind of set the, the standard. So you, Yeah, you know, for people today, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when I was a kid growing up, my dad took me to the silent movies and showed me Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. I didn't know who the hell those people were, you know, but... In my era, yeah, Ozzy and Harriet was probably one of the top shows. In fact, Ozzy and Harriet is the longest-running TV show ever on TV. They made 14 seasons worth, so there's probably about over, well over 400 episodes, about 450 episodes. And uh, ironically, the next show I got on, My Three Sons, is the second longest running show ever on TV. Uh, ran for 12 years. We did 380 episodes. Uh, the show finished in 19, I guess, at somewhere in 73, and immediately went into daytime syndication. So from 73 to 85, it was on TV at least once a day, if not more, on CBS. Uh, and it ran like that for about 13 years. And um, then I guess it was Nick at Night came along in 1985. And they had kind of a different slant on it. Uh, mostly CBS showed the color episodes. Our first four years were in black and white, and the last eight years were in color. And, um, you know, they just thought the color episodes are more popular with that generation. But by 1985, uh, they started this channel called Nick at Night, and it took old programming, uh, you know, from TV series like My Three Sons or Ozzy and Harriet, League of the Beaver, um, My Favorite Martian, which were old black and white shows, and started airing them uh, on a daily basis uh, at nighttime. It was 12 a.m. to 6 6 a.m. And, uh, yeah, My Three Sons was one of the shows they featured on that. And it was on Nick at Night till uh, 1995. So 10 years later, they came out with TV Land, which was the spinoff of Nick at Night, but it was now going to be a 24-hour network and was going to include black and white as well as color TV shows. So for 10 years, we were on uh, TV Land. And from there, it just went on to different you know, various networks, the uh, Odyssey Channel, ION, we're on MeTV right now, but probably a dozen different channels, giving my three sons the distinction of having been on TV literally 60 years without ever having got off. You know, it always played in some form, either in prime time, daytime syndication, uh, on cable networks, uh, in film change on local channels. Uh, so, yeah, this September 19th, my three sons celebrates being on TV nonstop for 60 years. 
That is an amazing. That, that sounds like one of those unbreakable records right there. So let me ask you a question. You, I, I hear people say it. You know, I caught the acting bug, or I knew from a very early age I wanted to be an actor or an actress. You must have caught the bug like straight out of the womb because <laughs> you and I were talking about offset. You said you got started when you were three or four years old. Yeah, yeah. Well, I caught the bug, uh, you know, right around the time. Were you, were you just that adorable kid? People were buying TV sets like crazy. You know, my parents bought one. It was a big cabinet with a little TV in it, a little black and white box. And, you know, you'd see different shows. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm seeing kids on different shows, local programming, uh, you know, especially in the afternoon. They had the shows that showed cartoons or Popeye. So we all watched that, but you'd see kids on TV. And, yeah, I caught the bug. I'm like, how do you you get inside the TV set? I want to be in there. So I had that. And, you know, by that time, too, I was, I guess, starting kindergarten, first grade. And our schools, I went to public schools. So, you know, y'all, they have the auditoriums and they do little shows, you know, where you either skits or you would sing or little shows. And I always wanted to be involved in that from the time I could remember. And, you know, I guess my mom saw I had had it in me to, uh, you know, perhaps push for a show business career. She didn't know how to do it. Uh, how I actually came to be in show business was my mom wanted me to learn how to swim at a very young age. So when I was two, three years old, I went to the swim school in in Hollywood, actually on Hollywood Boulevard near Western. And the lady uh, that owned this swim school was huge. Um, her name was Jen Lovin. And uh, so there was a zillion kids there learning how to swim. And she was very publicity-oriented and entrepreneurial. And she had a porthole cut in the side of her pool so you could see underwater. And there's some steps that led down. And uh, this big four-foot glass porthole so you could see the kids underwater and they would take photographs. And she invited some uh, magazines, big magazines of that era, to photograph us. She put together like a little show where we would ride bicycles and trikes and she put swing sets underwater. You know, for that day, I guess that was considered entertainment. But Vogue magazine came out, McCall's came out. I can't remember all the magazines and did magazine spreads on us. We were called Water Babies. And it caught the attention of this TV show called You Asked For It. And that was on every week, and people would write in and ask to see certain things, whether it was in this country or show me the Sphinx in Egypt, show me water babies. Somebody wrote in. It was probably the lady who owned the pool wrote in. But they did come out. They sent a film crew and filmed us underwater and doing our little water antics and diving off of high dives and all this crazy stuff. Uh, that sort of popularized the show, at least in Hollywood. So a lot of Hollywood celebrities started sending their kids to the swimming pool to learn how to swim. And one of them was an agent whose daughter uh, was learning how to swim there. And she, my mom and her, I guess, talked and she took a liking to me. And so I had, you know, I guess whatever you would consider the qualities were to be a potential child actor i guess i was cute blonde hair i was pretty extroverted and uh, i guess those were the right qualities so you know she wanted to represent me and she did and started sending me out on some interviews uh, i got a couple roles but i didn't have any lines again i was cast as an extra i was actually in the very first lassie episode um, where they did the changeover there was the original lassie which had tommy reddick who had 
probably he was about 17, 18 year old at the time, and they were going to take him off the show and replace him with another family who moves into the farmhouse, uh, and was with June Lockhart and with John Provost, who played Timmy on Lassie. And in, in the first episode, Timmy runs away. He's not happy about being on a farm in the middle of nowhere, thinks nobody loves him, so he runs away. And I think he falls off a bridge into a into a lake, and he can't swim, and he's out there floundering, floundering around. Well, it wasn't really John Provost. Uh, they needed a stunt double to double for him because John didn't swim. So guess who they came to? Me. <laughs> so that's me floundering around in the water doing my, the best I could to hide my face and look like I was drowning. Uh, so that was one of my, my first things I did. And uh, you know, it's an epi- uh, on some other episodic shows, I just was an extra, so you didn't even get a credit. And then I was sent out on that Ozzy and Harriet that I referred to uh, earlier as, as an extra, just a kid that lived in the neighborhood. And uh, I caught a lucky break. He gave me a line, and because of that line, once you say a line on, on a TV show, uh, you get what's called taft Hartley, meaning you have the option now to join the Screen Actors Guild. And uh, you pay your dues, and you get a, uh, you know, an actual, you become a card-carrying Screen Actors Guild actor. So I've got a very low membership number because I got in so early, but at the age of six or seven years old, you know, I, I was a professional actor. Uh, that little break allowed me to join the Screen Actors Guild. And, you know, I started getting all kinds of work after that in other TV shows. Um, in movies, I, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Barry and I did Rally Around the Flag Boys. I didn't complete the whole story. What happened was we got hired together. Um, I went in for the interview, but they saw Barry and thought, hey, why not? He's the real brother. Why not have his little brother be his brother on, on in this movie with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward? And the first day we were shooting, we we're supposed to be watching a TV set, and Paul Newman's talking to us, and we're not paying any attention because we're watching the TV set, and he's getting kind of antsy. And what was happening, though, is the director was getting mad at my brother because he said he was looking around. It didn't look like he was looking at the TV set. And my brother said, I am, you know, and we shot it four or five more times. And I don't know, the director just kind of blew his stack. And, you know, we didn't really know what was going on, but they sent him to an ophthalmologist at noon hour. And by the time he got the diagnosis, it turned out my brother had a crossed eye. That's why it looked like he wasn't looking at the TV set. And uh, came back at one o'clock, and Barry was fired right on the spot because <laughs> Leo McCary, the director, didn't think uh, Paul Newman should have a son with a cross eye. And by one o'clock, there was another kid there who was playing my brother. Mm. Uh, so Barry had two scenes: one, the one he got fired from, and then an earlier one they shot that day where he ate some pennies or something. And Joanne Woodward and the guy who was fixing the washing machine are holding him upside down, shaking him, trying to get the pennies out of him. If you look carefully, you can see it's not the other kid. It's my brother, Barry. But Barry went on to and did you know, Papa's Delicate Condition with um, Jackie Gleason. Uh, he was in The Errand Boy with Jerry Lewis. So he was starting to amount credits, too, in movies and TV shows. So, yeah, we were kind of competing in a way, but not really, because I was three, you know, three years older than my brother. Um, I'm blonde. He had you know, brown hair. I didn't wear glasses. He had glasses. So, yeah, we were never really competing for the same kind of roles. So there was, you know, plenty of, plenty of room and plenty of work for, for both of us. And we kind of carved out our own little niche. Um, 
And right before I got my three sons while I was doing Ozzy and Harriet, I, you know, a lot of times when you're on a studio lot and you're not shooting your scenes, there's not much to do. And I remember I used to wander around the lot or walk into other people's sound stages and watch them shoot. And on the sound stage next to us, I wandered in there one day and uh, they had an animal and I noticed they took him out through the back door and he was out the back. So I walked around the stage and uh, came back there and there was a horse there. And so I, you know, I came up and was talking to the trainer. He said, Hey, would you like to brush him? And he gave me the brushes, showed me how to do it. And then he gave me some carrots and let me feed him. Well, little did I know that horse was Mr. Ed. <laughs> it was the horse that played Mr. Ed. So that was one of the things I did. And then another uh, soundstage I walked into, they had a dog was one of the characters on the show. And uh, his name was Cleo. And I'd go over and play with him, got to know the trainer over there. And then one day this guy walked up to me while I was playing with the dog on the soundstage and wanted to know who I was and where I came from and, you know, was there an adult around or where's your mother? And uh, I remember thinking, am, am I in trouble? And the guy goes, no, 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 you're not in trouble. He goes, I'd like to meet your mother, though. And I was like, okay. You know, so I said, do you want to meet him now? And he said, yeah. So we, you know, walked off of this stage, walked back over to stage five where they shot Ozzy and Harriet. And I introduced this guy to my mom. And I'm like still thinking I'm going to be yelled at and in trouble for wandering away. But it turned out the guy that I brought over to the stage to meet my mom was Jackie Cooper. I don't know if that rings a bell or not, but Jackie Cooper, when he was young, was a huge, huge, probably as big as Mickey Rooney, if not bigger. Um, but he was a huge child actor, went on to become one of the little rascals. But he was also in the original The Champ movie with Wallace Berry. And he was in this movie in 1934 called Skippy, which won, I believe it won the Academy Award. And Jackie Cooper at age, whatever he was, seven or eight maybe, was nominated for an Academy Award. Of course, by now, you know, he's a, I don't want to say middle-aged man, but he was in his early 30s and was a pretty big Hollywood producer, director. And the show that he was shooting across from Ozzy and Harriet was this show called The People's Choice. And uh, anyway, I guess he saw me, and a bell went off in his head, and he thought, I'd like to shoot a pilot of Skippy, but using you as a TV pilot. And so, you know, uh, that's what happened. About three, four months later, I was on the soundstage and got got hot. Well, I didn't get hired. I got, they were writing it for me. And it got shot in December of 1958 with Jackie Cooper producing and directing, and we shot this TV pilot called Skippy. And uh, the funny part of that is it was made in 1958. I never saw it. <laughs> My parents saw it because uh, they came to a screening room, and I guess they went there late at night, so I wasn't able to go. Uh, but it got me a lot of work. Uh, it got me another movie, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, with Doris Day and David Niven and uh, later X-15 and Rather Than the Flag. And, you know, in those days, actors didn't have reels. Well, they had a reel, but not like, you know, what went on for years. Basically, for a while, nobody had a reel uh, until videotape came along. Uh, you know, then you could show somebody your work, a DVD, and now everybody has their reels on a file. But in those days, you, if you were lucky enough to get a hold of a film reel of your work, the only way you could show it was rent a theater out 
um, after 12 midnight and you, know, you would hire the projector or projectionist and they would project the film and you'd have people come to the theater. Well, because it was after midnight, I never saw this pilot, but the pilot was shown to some producers who were getting ready to produce this new TV series called My Three Sons and were looking for a younger son. And, you know, based on my work in Skippy, they hired me on the spot. But the funny part of that story is this is 1958. I never saw it. You know, so flash forward to uh, 2018, uh, some guy got a hold of me through, through Facebook, actually, and I knew who he was. He was the guy that played my friend in Skippy, and I, what, 60 years later, I, you know, I hadn't seen this guy. So got his phone number, called him, we talked, and I, I asked him, I said, did you ever see Skippy? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, I never got to see it. I said, actually, I went to Jackie Cooper's house twice. One time when I was in my early 30s and we went in his attic, we were up there rummaging around for over an hour, couldn't find the film reel. And then about five, six years later, I came back and he had a basement. We went down in that. You know, we just couldn't find it. So I'd just given that. So this guy tells me, he says, well, I've got a copy of it. I'm like, really? Where do you live? So it turned out he lived up by by San Francisco. And I said, do you ever come down to the Palm Springs area? He goes, yeah, I actually own a condo there. I come down every December. So in 2018, right before Christmas, this guy came down, stopped by my house. Uh, he had it on a DVD and I finally got to see the work that got me all my work. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, so long ago, I didn't remember much about it, but I was literally the star of it. My name was above the title. Uh, and I'm on screen probably 90 to 95% of the time. I mean, the workload was like huge. I don't even know how I did it because I had just turned eight years old, but it was, it was really good work. I could see why I got hired as a child actor. Um, so yeah, that, that's strange how sometimes stuff works out. And anyway, so the, you got this guy, I said, how, how did you get this DVD? And he said, well, we've had it for a long time. Uh, my mom made it. And when he left, he handed me this box. And I'm like, what's this? He goes, it's the film uh, reel of Skippy. And I'm, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I'm thinking, so you're the guy that had the reel for the last 60 years. <laughs> I guess his mom borrowed it and never returned it to Jackie Cooper. And so, but thank God I, I have the reel now, although it's kind of deteriorated. But fortunately, it was in good shape when they made the DVD. So I've got a perfect copy of this half hour TV pilot that I started in and 1958 that fortunately didn't sell, but got me, you know, two or three movies and got me my three cents. This, uh, that 2018 experience, like opening up a time capsule for you. It really was. Yeah. The funny part about film when it's deteriorating, I knew I was in trouble. The second I opened the box, it smelled like uh, vinegar. <laughs> as soon as you smell that, that smell, you know, the film is no good. So, yeah, I was loath to even take it out of the box. It could crumble in your hands. But just to know what it is, you know, I pulled that out enough to see the title on there. Well, you'll have to do like everybody else. You'll have to take this and you'll have to upload it to the Internet or you'll have to uh, get it into a streaming service to where it'll be around forever. Cause you, I was, yeah, I, I plan to do that. I'm going to have to check around on the rights, though, because, you know, I don't really have the right to do that. However, um, you know, there is... There are copyright laws, and I believe they're 26 years, and you can copyright something twice, which would be 56 years. But it's four years. Well, now it's 
uh, six years past that point. So it's probably in the public domain. And, you know, the guy that owned it is deceased, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, if he has right. family, it might be part of their estate. But I'm sure they would let me do it. it you know, it's it's a great piece of work, both for Jackie and myself. I mean, you know, he's very competent director and a great director of kids. Of course, he should have been. He was a kid actor, like I said. He's in God knows how many episodes of the, the original uh, Little Rascals. But, you know, he starred in some of the biggest films um, of his era, you know, from Skippy, which is this Academy Award uh, winning film. Um, you know, like I was saying, he did that. He was in the original The Champ with Wallace Berry, Captain's Courageous. I mean, just, you know, the guy's got a... <laughs> A resume that's like a pedigree. Wish I had that resume. <laughs> so here's the deal: you're you're young, you're super young. You get you get locked into episodic television, Ozzy and Harriet, and then that that makes its way from Ozzy and Harriet episodes to My Three Sons, mm-hmm. twelve seasons yep. that it ran. Yep. So, like, how old were you when you started on My Three on the actual like first day of shooting on the set? How, how old were you for My Three Sons? Well, it's it's a, kind of not that. It's, we did the pilot at the end of 1959. The mm-hmm. show wasn't picked up to become a series till 1960. Um, so, yeah, sometime, I don't remember when we officially started shooting, but it was sometime in the summer of 1960. And in those days, we shot 39 episodes, unlike now where you shoot eight. <laughs> so it was a, a tall order. And, you know, we shot it with Fred McMurray, who was induced to come to the show. Uh, you know, the producer said, look, if we do the show, we'll shoot around you a lot of times. So make sure you're in all the episodes, but we'll shoot all your scenes. You'll be there for three months, then you can go away for the summer. Uh, with your kids and your wife, and then at the end of the year, when you come back at the end of summer, we'll shoot another three months, and we'll have all 39 episodes wrapped. So that that's the way we shot the entire 12 years. All right. But, you know, when Fred McMurray came on My Three Sons, uh, you know, I've got to put that in perspective, too. You know, that name is not going to resonate with your young younger viewers or whatever. But and then with the younger like, viewers, he was they, a yeah, there's big, quite a few. big, 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 <laughs> I can't even say big enough time yeah. to say who he was in the movie industry. And here's this guy that got talked into doing a TV series. You know, it would be like Tom Cruise coming to TV right now and right. going, I don't want to do movies anymore. I got kids. I don't want to be gone for six months at a pop. I want to drive home at night and be like a regular working stiff and you know and it's as good as it gets if you work three months go away for three work three more and then you're off again for three months completely so uh yeah he, he was huge i mean you're without the show wouldn't have happened about my younger yeah. listeners not knowing who he is this guy i'm 50 years old and i cannot remember it seemed like every disney movie that was made for 15 years had him starring in it yeah all the way from about 50, 58, I think he did the Shaggy Dog, yeah, I, 59, it seems uh, like every Professor, Son of Flubber, uh, I mean, just a slew of Disney films. But before that, it's not that he was this lightweight actor. He was a heavyweight actor who segued from doing drama and crime to, to doing comedies. You know, going back to his early years, he was in Double Indemnity, which is, you know, film noir. A Billy Wilder film and uh, did the apartment years later. In fact, I think that was Billy Wilder too. The Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart and about a hundred films in between all of those. So this guy was for decades the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And 
You know, he was just as good as at comedy, like comedy, uh, as as he was at playing a murderer or heavy. I mean, he was an amazing, amazing actor for you know people that are interested in seeing who he was. You know, uh, unfortunately, when you do TV, though, that kind of erases your career. And because my three sons was on so long, it basically. I don't want to say it obliterated or erased his earlier career because fans and people that knew who Fred McMurray was and watched the show probably more for Fred McMurray than the fact that it had three sons on it was, like I said, just this major, major actor who decided, you know, he uh, wanted to do a TV show. Let me ask a question. We were talking about Fred McMurray and, of course, we were talking about um, Ozzie Nelson earlier. What, what was it like being on set with these guys, because I mean, you were around them at times more than you were your own family. What what kind of influences did did all these strong, you know, character these male characters have, you know, on you as a very young child? And then with my three sons, it took you all the way through your teen years. Oh yeah, it took me to my early twenties. You know, I was on that show from time we started to we stopped. Like I said, we shot twelve years of it, so we worked for almost fourteen years together. If you consider the pilot and when we finished, you know, shooting. So, you know, from the time I was nine years old to the time I was twenty three, almost, uh, you know, I'd work with these people. But it was great. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of movie stars are standoffish or, you know, just kind of distant. It's just work to them. And, you know, they don't really befriend the cast that much or socialize with the cast. And, you know, I'm here I am, I'm a nine-year-old kid. So what's a 50-year-old guy going to hang around with a, a nine-year-old kid? Unless you're Ozzie Nelson. <laughs> then, you know, on the show, I used to take my brother to the malt shop. I don't know what that was all about, but uh, that, was, that, that was curious. But, yeah, Ozzie was a great you know, director, very easygoing, never saw him lose his temper, or at least not with me or anybody, anytime I was around and, you know, knew how to get good performances out of kids. And, uh, a lot of times he did that with ice cream. <laughs> you were always promised ice cream, a bowl of ice cream, or you'd be eating ice cream in a scene. And, you know, uh, you're just a really cool guy and, you know, very gentle and easy to work with. And, uh, you know, same thing when I went over to My Three Sons. You know, Fred, a lot of times the stars of the show can be very temperamental or, you know, they're easily perturbed. <laughs> Fred was just the most easygoing guy. I'm not, not to say that he was lackadaisical about the quality of the show. If he didn't like something, didn't like the writing, didn't like some of the lines, you know, he would talk to the director, we'd call the producer, they'd send a writer down to the set, and they'd all huddle together until they got it worked out. Where, you know, I've seen other people go crazy where they you know, start screaming at the director or they have the script in their hand, they're throwing the script at people and, you know, acting like they're melting down or something. Anyway, Fred was really a great role model as, as an actor and as a person. He just... Uh, was a gentle, easygoing guy, and you know, you learn what to be professional really was all about, and how to talk instead of scream, and uh, you know, that's that's what I've learned. I'm kind of use that as my credo when I work, and when I work with people, is you know, to listen and you know, try and understand people's problems and work through them, you know, without boiling over. <laughs> so, 
Um, it was great to work with. The show was great because we had, uh, you know, after 12 years, even before 12 years, most of the guys that worked on that show, is, is the crew and the cast, uh, were just great people to work with. You know, Don Grady, who unfortunately passed away in 2012, was like a real older brother to me. And eventually my own brother came on the show as a younger brother, which was fun because I didn't really have anybody uh, my age. Uh, everybody was an adult, so I was basically working in an adult world, even though you're a kid. Uh, Tim Considine, who played the original older brother, Mike, who was the one that left the show, vacated the position of the third son, so allowing my brother to become the third son when he got adopted was a great guy, and we've been friends all our lives. I, you know, I see Tim probably two, three times a year until this last year. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, we still hang out and do things together. Tim and I and Barry would go to the Indy 500, uh, every couple of years or so. And, uh, you know, I go to Tim's house every New Year's Day for his birthday and New Year's Day. Uh, so yeah, you know, these have been lifelong friends. The, the guy that was, he was billed as the production manager on the show, but the guy who filled that position, a guy named John Stevens, uh, he was really the producer, at least would have been called the line producer in those days, who facilitated the you know the production on a daily basis and made sure there any of the problems. He was the guy you would come to, or if you did something wrong, he would be the guy that would give you a, a friendly but nice stern lecture, you know, on what to do, what not to do. And yeah, you know, he became a lifelong friend and a mentor to me. Uh, you know, almost everything I know about production, I learned from John. You know, from you know doing. The budgets, uh, scheduling, uh, you know, all the different things that you do as, as a producer, and more importantly, how to handle people. So, you know, he just had a, a great personality for doing that. He was firm but fair, you know, that, that's all you can say. And same thing for the other guys that worked on the crew, from the cameraman to the soundman. You know, I, when I got a, took an interest in all that by the time I was about 16, you know, like about the cameras and the film stocks and the lenses. Yeah, they were there sort of like mentors and teachers. And anything I wanted to know, uh, you know, I had guys right there that had been doing it 40, 50 years to explain everything to me. So I learned from some really incredible people uh, to the point when I was about 20, 21, I formed a production company and, uh, you know, started shooting things. So you had 12 years of my three sons. It, it, we're going to go out on limb and say it was one of the most successful episodic television shows of its era. 12 years. That's pretty impressive. That's impressive yeah. for today's standards. Yeah, well, so, yeah, by today's standards. So here yeah, you were. Two shows have come close. I think a few have gone 11. A buddy of mine, Sherman Hemsley, I think his, uh, what was it, the Jeffersons won 11. And I think some show just crossed. 12, too, so it's another sitcom that crossed the 12-year mark. However, that being said, they probably shot half the episodes. Yeah, that shot. was, you're talking about the Big Bang Theory. They they shut down. Yeah, big, they shut down with, I think, 13 seasons, but they had half the number of episodes you guys had. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so I let me ask you a question, okay? You were 12 years, same show. You were pre-teen, teenager, into your young adulthood by the time the show ran its course. Mm -hmm. Were you one of those child actors that were able to navigate the pitfalls of being a, a child actor and you know you know growing up in Hollywood? I mean, did you um, did you have issues as you were coming through? I mean, I know you, I'm, I'm gonna go out on them and say you weren't getting rich working on My Three Sons because back then 
you know, salaries in comparison to today's stars is, you know, like athletes, it's ridiculous, the, the difference. But uh, Well, that's not true. <laughs> but you were born <laughs> saying it. Born saying it. When I was being paid a hundred thousand dollars, you could go buy a house for forty. Well, that's what I'm saying. Now, I mean, you were <laughs> you, know? you were locked into a very comfortable salary for twelve years. You know, stability. You and your brother both were working. Did you yeah. were you able to navigate the pitfalls that you hear these horror stories about other child stars that that you know run? Yeah, yeah. You know? I think we did. We had great parents. I mean, you know, not to say they didn't have their issues, but as far as you know, wrangling us and handling our career. You know, neither one of them were starstruck. You know, they always said, hey, if you don't feel like doing it anymore, just let us know and we'll get you out of it. So, the, you know, and it was no pressure about going back to work or making money. Uh, and, uh, you know, they had some insights that being non-show business people that I think, you know, worked to our benefit. Uh, most of the showbiz kids I knew all went to a private school in Hollywood called Hollywood Professional School. And I probably wanted to go there only because my ilk was going there to be with my peers. But, you know, my parents said, no, we don't think that's a good idea. You know, even though you'd only go three hours a day as opposed to going to school for six or seven or whatever it was at public school. You know, they wanted us to be with real kids, not, you know, with other actors. And, you know, I may have resented that at first, but, you know, going back to public school is very scary because everybody knew you, especially after, you know, first, second year, my two sons. And, you know, you'd have just, you're like the Beatles, you know, kids just like clawing all over you. And, you know, either they wanted to be your friend or beat you up, one of the two. And, but it was a good place to be, you know, when I look at it retrospect, you know, to be with real people because you're in show business, but, you know, nobody knows how long that's going to last. And, you know, the, you learn more about people by just being with real people. You know, if you're only with actors, I don't think you can survive in the real world. And I think uh, when I look at some of my peers and friends who went that route, you know, I think they had attitude problems and probably had other issues that may have manifested themselves, you know, from being disassociated with, you know, just an average drill. So, uh, yeah, that was a wise decision on my parents' behalf. And, uh, you know, but then... Again, some of the people that had problems had crazy parents. You know, they would have had problems even if they weren't in acting. You know, they will probably have been made crazy doctors and, you know, crazy construction workers or what right, else. Right. When, you, when you have crazy parents, you turn out pretty crazy. So uh, we, we lucked out. We picked the right parents. As I was uh, checking your IMDb page, when exactly did you, like, take a break? Like... I don't see anywhere in here where you really took a break. Like that's a good uh, question. I'm about to be seven years like, old. How did you squeeze? Yeah, how did you problem. squeeze any bit of life into your? I mean, because it looks like you stayed on a soundstage or at a studio for like the last fifty-five or sixty years. It looks like so. Yeah, no, I've done a lot of stuff. You know, some of it invisible because when you work as a producer, director, writer, you're you're invisible. But you know, uh, if you want fame and fortune, then you got to be in front of the camera. I mean, if when things have come along, I've done them. If I was in front of the camera, but for the most part, my real interest is putting projects together and, and being kind of more invisible. But yeah, I've managed to you know eke out a living, and uh, you know, I've had a good life. Uh, want for nothing uh so you know show business for the most part has been pretty good for me you know it depends where you set your expectations a lot of people 
you know, and again, with my ilk, I came off TV shows that were fabulously successful and thought the business owed them a living and, and a, a lifestyle. And when that didn't happen, you know, a lot of them just kind of melted down or went berserk. Uh, you know, when my three sons ended, <laughs> my, my first clue that things were going to be different was probably the next day when my agent called and said, hey, you want to go out on an interview? And, you know, here in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm some big TV star. Why aren't they just offering me the part? And, you know, why do I have to go interview? I've proved myself. I just got off of 12 years on this show and about 20 years worth of working in the industry. But that's not the way it works. You got to go interview and you got to be willing to swallow your pride. And the next day, I think I went on McDonald's, you know, uh, Big and Tasty commercial or whatever the heck it was, or Big Mac commercial, you know, and I walked in and there were 500 other guys there, you know, some hey, that hey, had been in the business for all of the week, and here I am with 20 years worth of experience, and, you know, I got to learn the sides, go in the room and convince them I'm the guy to do their McDonald's commercial or a Kemper Insurance commercial, whatever, right. you know, whatever it was, Honda motorcycle commercial, you know, you go out and... That's what you do, and you're you're back to square one. Right. Every time that's, you do something, it crazy. could be your last job in show business. Because everybody that's, that I've everybody that I've talked to, and I've got the opportunity, I've been fortunate enough over the last few weeks and months to talk to quite a few of the Hollywood types, and every uh-huh. one of them echoes that same sentiment: you are only as good as your last project. Yeah, and even that's no guarantee. That could have been your last project. That's, you that's, just don't I did know. Have, I did have. I did have. You're never going to be hired again. For whatever reason, somehow your type, your image, the what they were looking for kind of changed, and you're not that type. So, you know, keeping your ear to the ground is really important. That, that actually, that's one of the reasons we, we were talking just before you recorded about that project that I did called The Actor's Journey, mm-hmm. um, which we're about getting ready to load it back up to the Internet. But I did a... Well, it's called a documentary. It's really an educational piece, and it was done as a series. It's a 10-hour series uh, on acting, but not, you know, uh, the on-screen part of it. In other words, the art and craft of acting, either for TV or for stage. We don't get into that at all, because you can go anywhere and learn that. Uh, what this project is about is the non-performance skills needed to become an actor that they don't teach anywhere so what I, you know, I saw that for years and years, and then I guess it was beginning of, I don't know, mid-2000s or something. I thought, you know, I should do something about this and called a lot of my friends. I said, hey, look, I want to do a project. I want to focus totally on the business side. All this stuff that nobody ever learns unless they're, they last in the industry 10, 20 years. Um, and would you guys like to be involved in it? And, and I brought together a hundred people uh, from the industry, not just actors, but producers, executive producers, directors, agents, managers, casting directors, cast, you know, just any way you can look at the business side of being an actor, because that's the invisible part that you need to learn to get work. And it's not taught at the university level. Uh, you know, they teach you how to become a good actor in case you're in front of a camera or on stage, but they don't teach you how to get work. And I'm, I mean everything about it, not just get a reel, get a resume, get a headshot sort of thing. But so I put this very comprehensive program together. It's 10 hours long. It covers about 60, 65 different topics that pertain to the business side of being an actor. And uh, the, the project is taught by over 100 industry actors 
45 of whom have been nominated for Emmy, Gold Globe, uh, Academy Awards. Uh, there was the president of the Screen Actors Guild at the time we shot it, the president of the Directors Guild at uh, the time we shot. And so the information is literally from the horse's mouth. It's not from some guy who maybe has two years on you as an actor, but people that have been doing this for a living for 20, 30 years and have finally figured out how things work. And, you know, the idea was to give new actors all this information, literally right up front. So you don't have to spend five, 10, 20 years learning it. You can know this, you know, on your very first day by watching this program that's 10, you know, 10 hours long. Well, maybe it'll take you two or three days to watch it and maybe watching it two or three times all the way through to absorb a lot of the information. So you can make heads or tails from, you know, what the processes are involved in, in becoming an actor. So I'm pretty proud of that. But, you know, I wanted to give something back to the industry and fortunately so did about a hundred people I knew. Um, and, you know, you behoove yourself if you're trying to become an actor to to watch it. Uh, like I said, we had it up as a DVD program a couple of years ago, and unfortunately I got really busy and had to pull it down, and it's now going to be, uh, it'll be online. You'll be able to watch it online, so uh, I don't know if we're going to have it as downloadable or streaming, but uh, you can watch the whole project there. Anyway, the project's called The Actor's Journey, and if you go to theactorsjourney.com, Probably within a month or so, it'll be uploaded and, you know, all these uh, uh, different uh, segments and the whole project will be available online. So you've been you've been working in the industry since you could walk. You, you're just yep. you're talking about this project. You're fixing to get back up on online that you offered. Now you'll get it back up. So what else? You got anything else going on? Anything in the, in, well, on the drawing board? Well, I had going, but like everybody else, COVID shut everything down. Yeah, I have two. TV pilots I was working on. One is a, is a talk show that I'm doing with a couple of friends of mine who are producers. And uh, we had the funding ready to go and had a start date and had to cancel the whole thing till this is over. I mm-hmm. just thought it was irresponsible bringing actors and a crew together for two or three days and lock them up in either a soundstage or a set where, you know, that's the thing they're telling you not to do is, you know, not having groups of people together. So bad enough if you got 12, we'd probably have 25, 30 people there, some of whom we're going to have to unmask. It can't be in front of the camera with a mask on. So, you know, we decided let's we'll hold off. Another one is a, a TV sitcom uh, that I had that uh, I think it was two of the networks were looking at it at, this, at the point where it kind of all fell apart for everybody. You know, you just couldn't get a hold of anybody and nobody's in their offices and nobody's looking at anything. So that all went on hold. Um, that and I got a couple movies I'm trying to get going with. You know, I don't know what, if or when those will get going just because of what's happened, you know, with COVID is, you know, really just kind of throwing a monkey wrench into everybody's plans. But We'll see. We'll see how it comes Maybe out. Maybe in the, the next other few weeks we'll get I may have had my showbiz thing, and showbiz may evolve into something we don't even know. I mean, theaters may literally go away. And from yep. this point on, you'll be watching stuff in a on your TV set. I don't know if these theater chains are going to survive. Well, I have asked. I have asked plenty of my guests, like I said, those that originate from the, from the left coast out there, what do they think about the actual theater experience? Is it going away? Is everything going to streaming? I actually was interviewing a gentleman named Sean Kanan who was pitching a, uh, a, a series he has on Amazon Prime. And uh, yep. 
he he was pretty adamant that streaming service is going to be the direction everything's headed. Now I, I interviewed it a, is. I interviewed a young put, lady named Lisa London together to stream it. Yeah, I interviewed Lisa London, and she was like, "I don't see the theater going completely away, but I do see streaming picking up steam." So. Yeah, you know. yeah, temporarily it's going to take it. But here's the problem. How do you make new content? You yeah. know, you're asking actors to come together and unmask and be around each other. You That's know, let's, you're only going to do projects with two or three people and have everybody tested every day to make sure it's okay. Otherwise, you can't create any new material. You know, it, it it's an impossibility. Yeah, I don't know. I, I tell you, uh, some of the stuff that I, I see on the news and, and just on online... I just assume they start doing a bunch of uh, my three sons uh, marathons. Yeah, you know, we need to. Well, you know what? That's the benefit, and that's yeah. that's what I think is going to happen in, in the interim. Is whoever owns content, yeah, uh, like the studios. You know that content's gold right now because you've got something to fall back on, and almost every studio has started a streaming platform, so they have plenty of content, even if they don't you know, make anything new, you know, maybe the next two years is going to be, you know, the year of the rerun followed by another year of the rerun. But hey, look, that worked for TV before. You just kind of go backwards and explore other stuff. You don't always have to have new stuff. And a lot of the new stuff that's made, I don't even know why it's being made. It's it's kind of crappy and redundant. And, you know, it's definitely not the old days when people put a little care and attention into it. You know, all it is is filling up an hour. So you've got an hour of space that you can insert 20 minutes of advertisement into it. Yeah. My youngest uh, daughter is, um, she's, uh, not quite 20. She's 19 and she was age shaming me the other day. And I told her, I said, you know, the problem, I was criticizing one of her television shows that she watches. And I said, you know, the problem with the world right now is we need a lot more Mayberry and a lot less Kardashians, and we'd be a lot better <laughs> off. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, uh, common sense seems to be gone. I mean, it, it's out the window. And for people that are, you know, on the extreme right and having problems socializing, I mean, I see that. And, you know, it's kind of like when the draft went away, mm. yeah, it's mandatory. That that draft, you know, I, I was afraid of it too. I don't want to be in the military, but you know, really served a purpose to socialize people, you know, disparate groups of of people who would normally be suspicious of each other and not come together or help each other. Uh, you know, that's missing in life. So yeah. you have all these groups that hate each other now. Oh, and they know. don't know each other. My, my you know, dad. They knew each other. You go, look, I want the same thing as you. You know, it's what are we fighting about? Right. That that really, I think, you know, I don't like the idea of the military and wars and all that. But, boy, that certainly served a, a social purpose, uh, you know, which, you know, you, you look at that era where that was going on and, you know, the people that went through that process said, hey, I don't have to live here in my little area or my barrio or my section of town. I can be accepted anywhere. I was just accepted by all these people. So, Amen to that. You know, it could, yep. be, it could be a different different world. Yeah, my dad was a, he was a backwoods hayseed from a little place, I mean, a little place that was just a dot on the map. And, you know, that was back just before Vietnam. Well, Vietnam actually was in full, it was full blown at this time. And instead of him being drafted, he went and signed up so he could control where he wanted to, you know, what he wanted to do. And uh, yep. he told me now the Vietnam experience was something that he very rarely talked about. 
But then later, when he got out, uh, you know, he he went into civilian life. But then he he got into the National Guard and went full time in it. And that was some of the best years of his life. He made relationships with with people all over the world because of that. And that's one of the greatest experiences that he ever had in his life. He used to tell people that all the time. And that's the biggest problem is is because something like the military tears down all those stereotypes. A man is a man yeah. or a woman is a woman and, and you're and you're equal there because you know if you you had to rely on that person beside you to survive. Yeah. Yeah, it's just pure ignorance to you know, or xenophobia to not want to know other people and go, You're different than me, you know, so I hate you. <laughs> What's that all about? You know, it shouldn't be, it doesn't have to be that way, but you know, there's nobody doing anything about it. You know, maybe they should come up with a draft, but what I used to call like a peacetime draft right. should be more akin to the Peace Corps. And you're in, you're all in together. You got to pull your own weight. One guy screws it up, and everybody's mad at that one guy. Finally, yeah. you get it to your head. Hey, we're all alike. You know, everybody's just trying to get by. And, you know, you're weird or racist or bigoted for. You know, just reasons of ignorance, then hopefully that cures you. Because yeah, it's it's definitely well. Look what it is now. You know, that's true. That somebody true. opened the sardine can. It's back. Crazy <laughs> world we way. live in. Stan, I cannot thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I, for a fellow that's been working since he could walk to take an hour out of his schedule to talk to me and you know, Columbia, Mississippi, a place that you couldn't find on the map if I gave it to you. I do appreciate that. I do want to finish yeah. up. Look, let let everybody know uh, how they can reach out to you on social media and, and follow you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I have a fan website, although I confess, because I've been so busy the last four years, I haven't updated, but there's a lot of historical interesting stuff on there. You know, everything about my three sons, everything about my career, uh, when I was going personal appearances, there's a lot of information. We didn't talk about it, but I, I'm also known for one other thing. Uh, there's a movie I did, uh, I think it was shot in 1963 or 64, called How the West Was Won, which turned out to be one of the quintessential Westerns. It was a Cinerama movie. And uh, it's kind of gathered new life in the last probably 10 years. They restored it. They show it at the Arclight Cinerama Dome usually once a year. and Usually they fill the house with that movie. And, you know, when I got into the movie, <laughs> that's the funny part. I got in because I wanted to be a cowboy. You know, I saw those cowboys on TV. You know, it sounds ludicrous now. Probably everybody wants to be Luke Skywalker, but he wasn't around yet. And, uh, you know, my whole career prior to my two sons, I never got to be in a Western where all my friends ended up in all these, you know, like Wagon Train, Laramie, the Virginian, you know, all these great Westerns that were out at the time. I never did. And then finally, in 1963, my agent got a call to be in this Western. Uh, the director wanted to meet me called How the West is One, which if you're going to pick a Western to be in, that's the one. It's, that's it's the almost one. three hours long. It was shot in Cinerama. It's actually the last Cinerama film. Um, and then it starred everybody in Hollywood. So it's got a pedigree cast, everybody from John Wayne to Jimmy Stewart to Henry Fonda, Richard Widmark, uh, anybody who was anybody was in that film. So I finally got to be in a Western and I'm proud of it. And, 
Anyway, flash forward to now, once a year they play it, and uh, because it's so much later, almost everybody in it is deceased. So I'm one of the few people, except for maybe Russ Tamlin, who's in it, um, that are left to talk about the, the film and talk about Cinerama and the process of shooting in Cinerama and working with directors like Henry Hathaway. And so once a year, I usually go and introduce uh, how the West was running at the Arclight Cinerama Theater. That's amazing. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of information. And that's um, at your that's website? So if you go to stanleylivingston.com, that's how you can kind of keep up with me. I'm probably going to update that soon. I've got a lull here because of the COVID, so I'm trying to catch up on everything I can. Uh, my production company website, if you want to see what I'm involved in or was involved in until COVID, uh, it's the uh, it's first team productions f i r s t t e a m productions first team productions dot com and it's got a lot of the projects that we're you know moving along and it's also got some stuff that I've done and there's probably a very comprehensive list of my credits on that particular website and that's how people contact me about doing productions uh like i said we do everything from movies to music videos commercials whatever um yeah so that that's pretty much it you are right one now. busy guy look yeah. before you get out of here i want to finish up with a this is supposed to be a quote directly from you it says the name chip douglas is probably going to be on my tombstone that's neither good nor bad <laughs> it's just a fact of life that is one of the yeah. best quotes I have ever heard. <laughs> because well, you embraced, where that quote came from. Well, you embraced the character Fred, that made you. Well, no, when Fred McMurray passed away, you know, he was, like I said, this huge, huge movie star, done uh, over 100 films, you know, some Academy Award films. And when he died, I remember looking at the obituary in The Reporter, and it didn't mention any of that. It just said Fred McMurray, known as Steve Douglas, the quintessential dad from the TV series, My Three Sons. So you can erase an entire career or do something that eclipses your entire career, and that's how you're best known. You know, all those 100 films just, you know, eclipsed by 12 years on TV and, wow. you know, being on TV every day and people seeing that. You know, some people weren't even aware that Frank McMurray was even in the movie industry. They just thought he was the dad <laughs> on My Three Sons. So, wow. yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen to me. I used to tell people I could have been in Star Wars and been Luke Skywalker, which I was one of the guys up for. It ended up going to Mark Hamill. But had I got that part, right now, if I died, it would say My Three Sons. It wouldn't say Star Wars. <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> well, man, I cannot thank you enough for for spending some time with me today. I have absolutely been blown away by all this you had going on, and I have loved this conversation. So uh, right, thank well, you, well, thank hey, you again. You. We'll, uh, we'll do it again. Thank Hopefully you again, brother. I get brother. something done so I can come back on and talk about something new. All right, Wally Wally listeners, Wally out.